From the staff of blind Tiresias in ancient Greece to the blind seer of Julius Caesar's day and beyond, the sightless were figures of tragedy. Then after Louis Braille came Helen Keller, who in her 88 years brought a dawning light to the community of the blind and indeed the deaf-blind. The sightless and partially sighted moved towards normal lives, but it's been a long, slow process. However, nowadays, research and development has been aimed so that the blind may see, not always literally, but through other senses. The tapping stick leads to today's sonar detectors, so that electronics have come increasingly to the service of the sightless. The white cane became both a symbol and a guide, but the traffic and other dangers remained. Then came another aid, the guide dog. Anne Burke is a guide dog owner, and she's been blind since birth. What has it meant to you? Well, it means the freedom to uh, get about in whatever way I choose. I can either take a bus... Or if I feel it would be handier for me, I can walk. And uh, this is something I couldn't do with a stick. Um, Why? Well, um, with your stick, um, you're limited to what you can feel with the probe. You know, the length of your probe. And um, with a guide dog, you have more confidence... And uh, you don't have to worry about walking on strange ground, no matter how good you may be with a the stick. Um, there's always a fear of um, strange places. And this is something you don't experience with a dog. And apart from uh, being able to um, program your uh, mobility, you... Well, she's a pet, of course, like any other dog. And um, something that you like to look after. Maybe that sounds funny, but, you know, you get a pleasure out of um, taking her to the park. It's an incentive to go to the park and have a walk. And in the park, you can let her free. And this gives you the chance to... um, go around with your stick and you know you can keep your hand in practice for the times when you mightn't be able to use your dog isn't it strange that with the ever increasing emphasis on technology that we come back once more basically to nature a woman and her dog as it were yes it is it is very strange really but um from the aids that i know technology has made tremendous advances but from the aids that i have seen Um, they are all secondary because um, none of them will lead you the way the dog will lead you. Communication broke out from the purely oral when Braille was invented in 1884 and it spread as technology developed from the laborious hand embossing of the characters to the mechanical devices we have today.
Inmates of prisons in Ireland, and indeed elsewhere in the world, have helped considerably through learning the technical skill of brailing to transcribe literature from the printed page to the pricked surface page for the blind to read and reproducing it at high speed. High-speed copiers have meant that not only literature is transcribed, but information too. Flight information for blind passengers. Please read carefully. Though the need is not likely, this brochure has been designed to inform you of our emergency evacuation. Uh, evacuation plans uh, should the need arise safety leaflet issued by an American airline. At a different level, counting and calculating have been facilitated with technology, from the abacus to the speech plus calculator. set recorder, too, provided an immediate means of transferring information. It meant that blind people who couldn't read Braille didn't have information denied them. It also became a means of communicating quickly with friends, of enjoying minor items of news not reported in radio bulletins. Local cassette newspapers have become common, and volunteers put the news on tape each week for circulation to the blind. In Britain, for example, the National Listening Library which now contains nearly 800 talking book titles, circulate something between seven and 800 recordings every week to people all over Britain and indeed to Ireland as well. And believe it or not, the most popular titles are those by the authors Agatha Christie, Neville Shute and Alastair MacLean. But in an Irish context, Joe Bollard explains. Recent figures in Ireland have shown that only about 500 people read Braille. When you consider that there are about 7,500 blind people in Ireland, that leaves a lot of people who don't read Braille. The talking book goes back many years, and um, it originally was on disc. But now, with the new cassettes on the market, the talking book is reaching further and further afield. Many blind people now have their own cassettes and are receiving books on the domestic compact cassette. The talking newspaper is a thing that's very popular in 
lots of countries. In America, most of the magazines that are put into Braille now are also put on cassette, onto the normal domestic cassette that the average person can buy in a shop, and volunteers usually read these magazines onto cassette for the blind people. Here in Ireland, we have a magazine that has a circulation of about 300 people. It's called Scale Bio. It started about four years ago. It was the brainchild of one young bank official, blind, and uh, he figured that it would be a good idea. He threw it around a bit, kicked it around, and we started in a very small way, and it's becoming more and more popular. It's now reaching further afield in Ireland. We've got a few listeners in England. Interesting and effective use being made of the modern cassette recorder. But what of medicine? In some areas of dealing with blindness and poor vision, there have been spectacular developments in medicine. As far as ophthalmic surgeons are concerned, they are being aided all the time with new instruments and new techniques, described for us by a Dublin surgeon, Mr. Louis Collum. But first, he deals with a very elementary aid for people with poor vision, glasses. The basic one, of course, being the spectacle uh, lens, which has been available for a couple of centuries. But over the years, the standard of glasses has improved. We had plain glasses, then we went into bifocals, then there were trifocals, and now we have multifocal uh, lenses, where literally a patient who, where he would normally previously have been wearing bifocals, now wears glasses, which look normal, and with which he's able to see all objects, no matter how near or how far away they are. This is a tremendous advantage for any patient. Just imagine a patient who, for instance, wants to see well in the distance, wants to see music where he's playing his piano, and wants to perhaps do very fine work like uh, mending a watch. Well, with one pair of glasses now, he can do this without apparently wearing the bifocals, which some people object to from a cosmetic point of view. Uh, over the last 20 years or so, a lot of work has gone into the production of intraocular lenses, that is, lenses that can be placed inside the eye at the time, for instance, of cataract surgery. And again, the advantages of this are very obvious because patients wake up from their cataract operation and literally see, hopefully, coming up to 80-90%. This is tremendous for a patient who perhaps previously has been perhaps blind enough not to have been able to even get around uh, a lot of work still is going on and will have to go on in this type of field because there are some problems with these lenses and we tend perhaps to put them into older patients and keep away from younger ones at the moment. But if one could produce an intraocular lens which didn't have any problems, one could hopefully put it in all patients that had a cataract removed and leave them uh, totally mobile. Equipment must have improved too over the years. And what do you hope for in the future there? Yes, uh, equipment has improved enormously. Uh, in the old days, uh, people used literally uh, very thick uh, suture material for suturing the eyes. And this lent itself to all sorts of complications. Now, of recent years, material is produced that's so fine that it's impossible to use it without a microscope. So that most modern surgery is done with a microscope. Now, this leads to very much more accurate work, better closure of wounds, so that the results of surgery with that sort of uh, suture material is much better. In some primitive societies, 
river blindness was cured dramatically by the introduction of medicine, um, glaucoma would be a big cause of blindness. Trachoma was a big cause of blindness. What are the major causes of blindness that medicine is working on now? Well, the two main uh, problems that one sees in these islands uh, are the congenital uh, diseases which one finds in children, children that are born with congenital abnormalities of their retinae uh, and of their lenses, in other words, congenital cataracts. And while the congenital cataracts can be dealt with, the congenital abnormalities of the retinae are not uh, amenable to treatment. So therefore, a lot of work is going on and will continue to go on into the prevention of these um, conditions. We became aware over the years, for instance, that various drugs, radiation and illnesses in pregnancy predisposed the mother to an abnormality which resulted in the child being born with abnormalities, as I've, such as I've mentioned. So a lot of work is going into this uh, field. The other big uh, cause of blindness that we see is uh, blindness due to diabetes or indeed visual handicap and visual problems due to diabetes. And in these islands and in America, an enormous amount of money is being fed into research into diabetic eye disease. And I have no doubt that over the next couple of decades, answers will be found so that we can hopefully prevent the complications developing and not have to deal with them. Well, so much for developments in equipment and research into the future. But what about problems? Dr. Garroway Crooks discusses developments. Well, probably the most spectacular recent development is the technique of vitrectomy. This is a method whereby the main inert content of the eye, the vitreous body, which is normally quite transparent, but which may have become opaque owing to injury or to disease, can be extracted from the eye and replaced with saline or some other inert substance, thus removing the opaque medium through which uh, images were unable to travel. Have you actually tried this out in this country? Well, we have the equipment now, but it has arrived only very recently, and a very great deal of expertise is necessary in the manipulation of it. We have had at least one case, a man who was blinded in an explosion, who appeared to be a suitable subject for this, and insofar as his case was desperate, we arranged that he be sent to Switzerland. This was before we had the equipment ourselves. And there in Zurich, he was attended by Professor Clerty, who is a world expert in this technique, and he was restored a modicum of sight. Not necessarily his full sight, but sufficient for him to make his way around. And this was a, a very great triumph. Do you think surgery will continue to develop? Or are we going to get into the range of electronics all the time from now on? Well, I think there will be more and more uh, technological complexities uh, involved with the surgery. I think there is a limit to what surgery can do. But uh, apart from surgery, there are such things as uh, the uh, sensors which can stimulate the visual cortex, that is the part of the brain subserving the function of sight, and these can be uh, incorporated in various devices worn by the patient. 
there is, if you would like to hear about it, there is a, a, a method being experimented upon in San Francisco and also, I believe, in Cambridge, whereby such stimulation is achieved through the skin or, in the case of Cambridge, through the scalp. And I, I have seen the, the skin stimulation performed in an experimental way in San Francisco. How does it work? Well, the blind man was sitting in a chair, which was rather like a dental chair, and on the back plate of the chair was uh, a square of 10 by 10 inches, approximately a foot square. And this had a number of Teflon sensors. These numbered about 400. And by stimulation of any grouping of these, simple images could be reproduced. These images were <clears throat> connected to a television camera, which he wore on his head, a very lightweight camera. And he was seen by us, the observers, to be visualising variously um, letters, numbers, uh, simple objects such as a telephone. And he could identify, uh, after scanning for some little time, he could identify uh, individual letters or even the telephone. And if an individual were to stand in front of him, he could signify whether that individual was nodding or shaking his head, as the case might be. Wouldn't this presuppose, though, that the blind man knew the shape and almost texture of a telephone? Well, this is so, but I think most blind people at the present time do identify things by shape. Uh, the man whom I observed was somebody who had been blinded recently and already knew these shapes, I grant you. But um, I do think that most, most blind people use the sense of touch at the present time to uh, acquaint themselves with the, the, the world about them. It's very um, expensive, this kind of research, and it's cumbersome at the moment. Yes, but uh, one can uh, anticipate that uh, there will be continual refinement, and indeed there are certain um, such sensors incorporated in spectacles. Do you think it's worthwhile? I do. I think any advance of this sort uh, should be proceeded with. So there are obviously highly advanced and expensive items of technology which are being researched and developed in various parts of the world in order to replace with modern signs the natural vision which blind people don't have. Like the bionic man, technology is trying to replace an artificial eye for a natural one. At the moment, developments along these lines have produced an eye which is six feet high, and until that can be improved the blind will be encouraged to use advanced technological aids. Some of these are very, very sophisticated, such as the seeing eye. This is a television camera mounted in spectacles which transmits a signal via a transmitter that is strapped to the wearer's body to the optic nerve to which it's attached. While this device doesn't obviously replace the eye or act for it, it does give signals which the blind person can interpret. There's also the sonic guide and the optical tactile converter known as the Opticon.
The Opticon, of course, is the optical tactile converter, which basically scans a written page with a device that looks like a television camera. And the other hand of the user is placed into a machine rather like a cassette recorder, and the index finger of that hand is placed on a groove, and little needles imprint the shape of the letters of the words that the camera is seeing. And of course the sonic guide emits a different pitch depending on the surface of the object at which it's pointed. But however worthwhile all these technological developments are, they can only be effective if blind and partially sighted people can successfully and effectively incorporate them into the routine of modern everyday life. So how will administrators and teachers, for example, be able to use all these highly developed sophisticated technical aids into helping the blind and partially sighted adults of tomorrow to cope? Sister Kevin is principal of a school for blind children in Dublin. Um, when we speak of blind people, we are not necessarily speaking of totally blind people all the time. I think uh, some 80% of termed blind people have some residual vision and in education today the emphasis on uh, in the um, teaching of the people is to develop this vision to its maximum therefore we are using aids um, to help them to read print now that does not mean that we are doing away with braille braille is still a very very important um, part of our teaching well what of the future then where do you think developments will go? I think, you know, when you ask what do you see, you have to think all the time of the people. See, even two people with the same, um, what shall I say, problem, the same visual problem, they're not going to respond, you know, to these kind of things in the same way. You have to think of the people's intelligence, their background, their motivation. All this has to be taken into account. Uh, again, uh, the overall thing, I think, of what I see is that we have um, come into the age where medicine has developed to such an extent that the uh, percentage of totally blind people is going to be less. Therefore, uh, we have, I suppose, this onus to help the people then with this vision, to use it to its maximum. But um, certainly we have to teach, we have to train the children how to use their eyes. I think this teaching uh, element of the whole thing is very important. And I think this is one play area where these things have fallen down. Uh, in the early days when they were devised, people took them, tried to use them, didn't succeed, and then discarded them. And I think this um, training of the use and finding the ways of making the proper use is very, very important. And this is why I think these types of centres must come from schools where the pers people in the schools are taught to teach the younger people and where they are also taught to motivate them towards these things and motivate them towards them, the, the proper use of their own vision and, um, you know, the proper um, motivation towards themselves generally. Lots of these um, partially sighted children or children with some vision don't want to be seen to use things that are too obviously pointing them out to be low vision people and we have to break this thing down and we have to try to train them to be positive about themselves now that doesn't mean that we won't still have people who need braille and I think a proof of that is we have recently um, 
well in the last four or five years. Um, a Braillex uh, electronic dictionary has been devised. A group of people in West Germany have brought this out. And um, this is all Braille, so that Braille you know, isn't being forgotten about. Um, Braille has been very difficult to store and to, um, to, make, to, to, to make it available, number one, and then to store it, number two. So uh, this Braillex system, it has been developed, as I say, in the last five or six years. It's in offering a solution to this problem. And the input here is Braille, electronic um, storage of Braille on, on magnetic tapes. It's stored in these machines, and then you can recall it. And that's a breakthrough indeed. At best, blindness is a disability which can be reduced to the level of a minor inconvenience. There's no doubt that medicine and technology have done much to improve services and aids to those who cannot see. And the blind themselves have broken out from the traditional crafts in sheltered workshops to become skilled telephonists, seamstresses and industrial workers of all kind. Blindness itself, congenital blindness that is, is on the decrease. But failing eyesight in the elderly will remain with us. And accidents, too, are causing blindness. Accidents in industry, accidents in agriculture, and accidents like this. Another road crash. Another statistic. Another casualty. The child from the car crash has just come from the operating theatre. He'll live, but he'll be blind. Will that child be blind forever? Or will tomorrow's technology open a new window? In Ireland... It wouldn't take much for the services to the blind to become a model for the rest of the world. But it will take a lot longer to achieve the ultimate in scientific and medical terms for the blind and partially sighted. For the moment, though, we should try for what is within reach. Hope, like patience, is a virtue of the sightless. Surgery and science are strengthening that hope that they may, to paraphrase Tennyson, look into the future... Far as the human eye can see, behold the world and all the wonders that can be.